Most of us experience life just as we planned it. <laughs> That's not the, ex the expression or the response I was hoping for. <laughs> On a weekly basis, not a whole lot deviates from the pattern that we establish and follow. That is, until that routine is interrupted by forces beyond our control. Something happens that derails us and causes us to take a detour on a path or a route we never imagined. A medical test comes back indicating your health is no longer normal. A phone call from a relative informs you there's been a tragedy in the family or a crisis you didn't see coming, coming suddenly has all your attention. Even if we haven't experienced such an alarm that alters our lives, each of us knows somebody for whom it has. It was famine that first altered Naomi's life. It was so severe that she and her husband sought refuge away from home. Where they moved to, tells us how severe and how desperate they were. Moab, across the Jordan River, was the closest neighboring country to Judah. But its reputation among the ancient Israelites made it a land of last resort. Moabites have long been remembered as the nation or the people who uh, from whose nation did not give support to God's people when they fled from Egypt. And as a result, there's a restriction in the law of Moses that prevents the descendant of a Moab from ever entering the assembly of the Lord. But, despite, but desperate times call for desperate measures. And refugees can't always allow religious and social proprieties to stand in the way of relief. But famine was only the beginning of Naomi's peril. The move that she made with her husband allowed them to escape starvation. But Elimelech could not escape death. He died away from home, away from family and left Naomi to manage the household alone. We don't know how old her sons were at the time of his death, but eventually they grew older and married Moab women. And 10 years after that, both sons died. At one time in Naomi's life, she would have been considered blessed. Married with two sons, it doesn't get much better than that. But her experience now was quite the opposite. Naomi's grief was compounded first with the death of her husband and then the death of both her sons. But for a Jewish reader of this story, the empathy for Naomi extends far beyond these three it also includes the fact that she was without a grandchild. To be a widow without someone to carry on the family name was a severe tragedy 
in ancient Israelite society. Naomi's family had become an unfamily. No husband, no sons, no heir. Grief and loss can seize hold of a person in such a way that you lose a sense of direction or navigational orientation. Even people who are familiar with their surroundings find it difficult to focus, get up, and move. Gerald Sitzer describes this in his book, A Grace Disguised. He tells of what he went through following an automobile accident that claimed the life of his mother, his wife, and one of his children. He referred to a darkness that enveloped him so completely that he was tempted to just sit and never move again. He said it was only by moving and the encouragement of others to do so that he was able to begin to see light and experience a measure of hope for the future. Naomi's glimpse of such hope came in the form of news from home. The famine had ended. And in typical reporting as a faith narrator, this change of fortune is attributed to God. Naomi heard in Moab that the Lord had come to the aid of his people by providing food for them. She must have thought that by returning to Bethlehem, there she might find support from a family member. She suggested to her daughters-in-law, Orpah and Ruth, to do the same, to return to their households of origin in the hope that they too might secure a future for themselves. One of them follows her advice. The other's response to Naomi is so captivating, it makes this one of the most beloved stories in Israel folklore. Of course, Brenna gets to share that response next week. You leave the best parts for your friends. That is until we get to the fall, and then she'll get um, predestination. <laughs> Given what Naomi has been through, we might think for her to make it home that she would have to be carried to do so. I don't know about you, but I would. I would say, just put me on some transport and tell me when we're there. But she had to carry herself. The weight of her grief and the loss made her journey long and hard, if not unwelcomed. And as we will discover, the way back for her was not only to her family and homeland, there was a return to faith as well. For some of us, the way back to faith poses a similar challenge. We too may have become disheartened or feel abandoned or have managed enough on our own without God that we wonder whether it's necessary or worth trusting God ever again or especially going forward. And if that might be your story, I encourage you to remain open to what this story may teach us about faith. 
For example, the opening of this story is filled with agony and hardship. And I think when we go through difficult times, we might have the same reaction as Naomi, who complained bitterly against God. Who wouldn't, given all that she's been through and all that she's experienced as a person of faith? And there's plenty of psalms that use this language of complaint in their address to God if you need to find something that puts teeth into what you feel. But there's more to Naomi's story, just as there is more to our life story. It serves to remind us that we're not stuck forever, that with God there is reason to hope. Also in this book, we will see how God's providence and justice works for vulnerable people like Naomi and Ruth, people so poor that they have to depend upon others. In ancient Israelite society, God had made provisions to care for the poor through the practice of gleaning in fields. And there was an obligation of family members to care for widows through the practice of leveret marriage. We will also see how the practice of kindness and goodwill changes the outlook and opportunities for someone in great need. And finally, despite the law's prohibition against Moabites, we learn how Ruth stands outside God's chosen people Yet she becomes the great-grandmother of Israel's great King David. And through that same bloodline, God's Messiah, Jesus our Lord. How is that possible? In his covenant with Abraham, God promised that through his descendants, all peoples on earth would be blessed. Like Ruth, most of us are among those outside Israel's chosen people. Yet by God's grace, we become included in the fulfillment of God's promise. How is that possible? It's not possible except for 